Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Since toymaker Mattel launched Barbie into the world in 1959, the doll has been adored for telling girls they can do anything and loathed for promoting unrealistic appearance standards. Now in the first live-action film featuring Barbie and starring Margot Robbie, director Greta Gerwig takes aim at the sexism, materialism, the patriarchy that shaped Barbie. So does this mean we're all good with Barbie now? Diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. What do you think? Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The Barbie movie beat out Oppenheimer with a $155 million opening weekend, giving it the biggest debut of 2023 and the biggest opening for a movie directed by a woman. So what do you think is behind the film's success and all those pink parties? We're going to look at the legacy of Barbie and why the doll that Mattel launched in 1959 is sparking a cultural moment now. Did you join moviegoers in pink or take part in a Barbie-themed celebration? What did Barbie mean to you growing up, or what does she mean to you now? Tell us by posting on our social channels at KQED Forum, by calling 866-733-6786, or by emailing forum at kqed.org. Joining me for our conversation today is Antonia Serijido, executive producer at LA Studios, co-host of the podcast The Barbie Tapes. Antonia, so glad to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us is Nadra Niddle, education reporter for the 19th. Nadra, thanks for coming on as well. Thanks for having me. And Ray Alexandra is in studio with us, staff writer for KQED Arts and Culture. Hi, Ray. Hello. So, Ray, start us off. How have people been showing their Barbie love that uh, you've seen or heard about? Who isn't showing Barbie love? <laughs> That's um, the thing, right? This is not a movie that I ever thought that I would be interested in. And uh, when it first, when the first trailer dropped seven months ago, I was like, I'm never watching this. And then, of course, I'm one of the first people to go and watch it because you kind of have to. You kind of have to. Is that the feeling that you are hearing and seeing from people, Antonia, that there's this sense that you just have to be part of it? Oh, absolutely. I, f- I feel actually, Mina, I saw your uh, TikTok about this conversation. 
And I think you're totally right that I think people want to be in conversation with each other. Like, I think th they were so clever in marketing it as if you love Barbie, this movie's for you. If you hate Barbie, this movie's for you. It's sort of everyone gets to sort of have their take. And I think that's part of it. It's like people want to have conversations about the movie and the themes that the movie talks about. Yeah. Do you feel like people need to have a shared thing, too, at a time when it feels like it's hard to come up with things that create a shared cultural moment. We're always hearing about how divided we are, how different the U.S. is now. No, t yeah, I, I definitely think that people are, ex I agree with that as a as a thesis is just like the pan post-pandemic, like everyone wanting to come around one thing. Also, the internet, I think, creates a lot of like niche audiences. And I think we want to, and also social media has been sort of crumbling, I feel like. So even where we meet online has been kind of confusing. And I think that we're like, all right, let's just meet in person at the movie theater. So what about you, Nutter? Were you dying to see the movie or how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I don't know that I was dying to see the movie. <laughs> I did end up seeing it this week. I wrote an article about it that made me feel you know, compelled to go see it. And I think on social media, you know, the discourse around this movie has been going on actually for months, ever since photos were leaked of Ryan Gosling and Margot <laughs> Robbie, you know, in character. So I think there, there's definitely been buzz um, for months and months now. Yeah. You know, in terms of discourse, Ray, I, I feel like the discourse almost felt like people who may have, you know, stopped embracing Barbie because of the problematic things that were raised about the doll felt permission to see her again because it was clear that that the film would acknowledge the problematic things about Barbie. There, and, and of course, there is this scene, without giving too much away, Ray, if you could describe the scene with a middle schooler who does a total takedown of Barbie during the movie. Um, this particular scene, as somebody who grew up feeling exactly the same way as the teenage human uh, does in the movie, uh, I wanted to stand up and cheer and clap. Like, finally, it's been acknowledged. Um, Barbie shows up in the real world and tries to find the girl who owns her. And um, she, Barbie thinks that all of the Barbies have fixed all of the problems of the world by just being awesome women and uh, running things and everything's perfect and didn't we fix everything? And then she encounters a table of these teenage girls and the teen girl basically says, you're a tool of the patriarchy. And Barbie's devastated. But it's true. From my perspective, Barbie always was a tool of the patriarchy. Um, just in terms of the impossible body standards, I certainly, growing up, didn't want to play with it for that reason. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ray has a point, Antonia, in the sense that um, you have done this podcast called The Barbie Tapes that talks a lot about the the sort of motivations and the discussions that Mattel had about how Barbie should look. And you describe a Barbie that actually has, you know, a how to lose weight book. Oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit. about that. Well, yeah, no, I, Ray, I think you're right that a lot of uh, the Barbie history is extremely problematic. Um, and the, the Barbie tapes are literal tapes that my co-host, M.G. Lord, who wrote the book Forever Barbie, um, she had these tapes from when she did this book in the 90s. And M.G. was the first person to sort of 
put the whole Barbie history together and do like an overview of how it all came about. And I think a lot of people don't know the origin story of Barbie. And I certainly didn't when I met MG years ago. And I was amazed. I mean, the first Barbie was inspired by this German doll that was actually a like gag gift given between men of like sort of like a 3D pinup doll. Mm. Like it was it was made for the male gaze. And for some reason, Ruth Handler, who uh, worked at Mattel, came across it and was like that toy with boobs that's the other thing before like toy like dolls for girls did not have boobs um she was like that's what little girls want to play with and then they had actually mothers at the beginning were horrified by the doll they thought that they didn't want to give their daughter something that would teach them to be over sexualized and the way that they brought in this marketer Ernst Stichter who like really used like a lot of research and psychoanalytic uh theories And what he found in the research was that if they positioned the doll as something that would help teach their daughter how to one day be attractive to get a husband, they would find it more palatable. Um, But as MG points out in the in the podcast, at the same time that that was happening, there were people working at Mattel um, like like Barbie's first dress designer who was an independent woman. She was living by herself in Japan, making these designs. And she always insisted on having Barbie be a working woman. So there were some things about Barbie at the beginning that were very purposefully setting her up to not be a mother or even a wife, actually, ironically, like they, at the beginning, there was no Ken. They didn't want her to be like sort of saddled with any like drudgery. Um, And so you see already sort of like the paradox of Barbie and what Mm. she represents right there at the beginning. Yeah. The other thing that that tween calls out, which I was kind of surprised, was Barbie for promoting shallow consumerism. And um, and it's something that, that Nader, you point out that people don't always realize about Barbie. Were you struck by that when the tween actually called that out? Yes. And I knew about that before I actually saw the movie. But when I interviewed two scholars for my article that came out on Friday, um, they both talked about how Barbie was introduced during this post-war age of mass consumerism. Um, so she reflected the culture at large, but also because there were, you know, different outfits for her and then, you know, later cars and houses and things like that, that she was created um, to get children to consume. Um, and that included when Ken and other figures came along as well. So you wouldn't just buy one Barbie doll. You had to get all the accessories, you know, and all of her friends um, and keep buying. And then therein also lies probably another reason, Nadra, that um, this movie is sparking a cultural moment, which is that Mattel has done a really good job of making you want to buy tickets to this movie. Can you talk a little bit about their marketing blitz? Yeah, so Mattel has, you know, teamed up with so many brands, um, including Airbnb. So I'm based in Los Angeles and in the Malibu area, you can actually um, stay at at Barbie's dream house, a real life version of it. 
there's also um, a different kind of experience that includes getting your hair done and other things like Barbie um, that you can get done as well. So people are, are taking advantage of that. Grown, mostly grown women um, are taking advantage of, of those options. But they also have partnerships with stores like Hot Topic, with Hot Wheels, um, with Ulta Beauty and, and on and on. So it was hard to escape this movie from a marketing point of view. Yeah, we're talking with Nadra Niddle, education reporter for the 19th. Also, Antonia Sedihido, executive producer of LA's Studios and co-host of the podcast, The Barbie Tapes, and Ray Alexandra, staff writer for KQED Arts and Culture. We're looking at this cultural moment that Barbie has sparked and and asking ourselves why and also what Barbie's legacy is, given all the different messages that have been attributed to Barbie and that Barbie has shaped. So tell us, what does Barbie mean to you? Do you think Barbie affected you growing up for better or for worse? Did you join the moviegoers in pink or take part in a Barbie-themed celebration or event? Why? What were you seeking? Email forum at kqed.org find us on social at twitter facebook instagram threads we're at kqed forum or give us a call at 866-733-6786 866-733-6786 and blanca on instagram writes i grew up playing with barbies and now my daughters play with them but i never identified with her i didn't ever crave to reflect her body type and blonde hair but she was a reminder that Barbie was society's ideal and I was not. Sounds a little bit like what you were saying, Ray, earlier. A hundred percent. Yeah. And we will have more with Ray, Antonia, and Nadra right after the break. Stay with us. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Nadra Niddle, an education reporter for The 19th, Antonio Serijido, co-host of the podcast The Barbie Tapes, ex- executive producer at LA Studios, Ray Alexandra, staff writer for KQED Arts and Culture. We're talking about why the Barbie movie is sparking a cultural moment, whether you like it or not. What did Barbie mean to you? What does she mean to you now? Do you think Barbie affected you for better or for worse? Did you see the Barbie movie? What did you think? Did you take part in a Barbie-themed celebration? Why? Email forum at kqed.org. Find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, threads. We're at KQED Forum. Or call us at 866-733-6786. Let me go to Tammy in San Jose. Hi, Tammy. You're on. Hey, Tammy. Are you there? Uh, let's see if we can bring in. Oh, uh, we will see if we can bring <laughs> Tammy back in just a second. Um, you know, just before the break, I read that comment from Blanca about how Blanca didn't crave to reflect Barbie's body type or blonde hair, but was a reminder that Barbie was society's ideal. And Nadra, I kind of really related to that because I'm not sure if. My sense of society's ideal came from Barbies specifically or from playing with Barbies, which I did as a kid, or if it just came from everything else around me. And I know that you had Barbies growing up, and I'm curious what that experience was for you. I agree that growing up, being a you know girl of color, that I didn't really crave uh, to look like Barbie or expect her to reflect me. I think it made me a little more detached. Now there were black Barbies that I, that I had. um, And I remember being a little disappointed because I think one of the first black Barbies that I had really looked just like the white Barbie, (laughs) except for in skin tone, they looked exactly alike. And I think I wanted a little more of a difference, whether it was in the facial features or the hair or something. Um, So that was one thing I remember being disappointed in. And then I also had some sort of tropical Barbie that I believe was supposed to be Hawaiian. So those were the, you know, quote unquote, ethnic Barbies that I had growing up. Um, but I don't feel that my, you know, self-esteem was hurt by having the dolls. And I still do have Barbie dolls today. You still have Barbie dolls today. What Barbie dolls do you have today? <laughs> so I have some. Uh, one is of Misty Copeland, the ballerina. Um, so I have a Barbie doll of her. Yeah. And I have some Day of the Dead Barbies as well. Um I was very close to actually getting President Barbie from the Barbie movie (laughs) um, played by the actress Issa Rae. But the prices on that have gone up so much. I think the last time I looked, it it was over $100. So I'm not going to spend over $100 on a Barbie. But yes, I I have collected in the ones, as you can tell, that I've collected, uh, you know, are culturally diverse Barbies. And why do you like them? Why do you want to have them now? Well, I think some of it was just I was a, you know, Misty Copeland. I'm just a fan of right. her first principal dancer um, at ABT American Ballet Theater. And then a Day of the Dead ones, if if anyone has seen them, they're just truly stunning um, in terms of the face makeup and the clothing. And so I was just visually stunned by those dolls. Mm-hmm. And I would get Issa as well. Um, you know, President Barbie from the movie, because I also thought it was just, a, you know, a stunning um, Barbie. 
you know, very dark skin Barbie that you don't necessarily see too often. And the dress she's in is pretty gorgeous as well. Um, so those are some of the reasons. But also I'm aware that, you know, people used to say that black Barbies or other Barbies of color, dolls of color in general, they did not sell. Um, that's what you heard at the time. So they wouldn't be stocked in stores as often. And so I think even now I just go out of my way to just buy a doll of color on occasion because yeah. of that. Yep, yep. Let me go to Saban in Santa Rosa. Hi, Saban. Join us. Hi. Hi. Um, how are you? I'm well. What's on your mind? Um, so I just wanted, I love this conversation. So I had um, Barbie, I played with Barbie um, in the 60s. I was a very spoiled child, so I had all of it. But I had this like love-hate relationship with her because I knew I was never going to be that pretty. And I was never going to be able to afford all the things that she had, the clothes. Back then, I remember she had like a purple, red, uh, long velvet dress, you know. And and so I really, it, it did make me feel kind of bad about myself, but I loved playing with her, sort of. Um, and then when, my, when I had my daughter, I refused to buy her any Barbie stuff. And she ended up, um, you know, and I didn't ever... Um, uh, tell people not to buy her Barbie things. Um, I think most of people knew I didn't like it, but she did get Barbies from other, you know, people and she loved her Barbie. <laughs> and, um, and she, and she liked all that, um, which I think is um, probably just ch girls that age, but she liked like all that pink and all that, you know, sort of like bright garish color. Um, and um, anyway, I have not seen the movie. I want to. Um, I did actually, um, listening to the other caller talking, there was a store in San Francisco in the Castro called Ingenious. And for a while, they, um, there was a group of people who were taking Barbie dolls and, um, and Ken dolls, you know, uh, cross-dressing them. Um, <clears throat> they had a trailer trash doll. <laughs> and I did have um, a trailer trash doll for a while. <laughs> I might suddenly be on board with getting a Barbie. <laughs> I thought until now that the only Barbie I wanted was an Allen, but now uh, if there's a trailer trash one, I could be interested. Um, well, Saban, th thanks for sharing that. Can I just ask you why you did not let your daughter have a Barbie? Because Barbie made me feel bad about myself. So, so from you know, your I mean, own like experience no of feeling bad about yourself, I see. Mm -hmm. Even though yeah, she also yeah. brought you this joy that you're describing as well, the the bad about yourself thing you wanted to protect your daughter from. Well, oh, thanks so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go right ahead. Oh, I just was going to say, I think the body image and the materialism are just impossible I mean, for most people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so... Um, and so that was what I wanted, you know, to you know, sort of protect her from, because those things aren't, aren't realistic. Well, thanks, Saban. Let me go next to Peter in Berkeley. Hi, Peter. You're on. Hi. So just let me say, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't comment on that. Um, my daughter, now 27, very successful, et cetera, was absolutely forbidden to have any Barbies as, as a kid. They would, like, arrive as Christmas presents and find a place on a shelf out of reach. And, you know, it's become kind of a, a family joke later in life that, you know, that's where her parents were coming from. But in any event, you know, we were like absolutely opposed to the materialism, the sexism, et cetera, of Barbie and for that matter, Ken. Um, but I think it actually became a really useful kind of conversation point, right? It gave us, you know, ways to discuss why we didn't want. Why you did not really, want. Yeah. Why you did not really want. Really any of yeah. those values. For our child. And so, you know, 
kids are smart. They figure their way around things. You know, they grow up, they play with their friends' toys, whatever. So, you know, well past that cause and effect, I can't say, but I think it was, it was really valuable as, as a means to talk about um, values and, and what we wanted as, as her parents. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, Antonia, when I, oh. when I hear what Peter is saying, I think about all the different types of things that Barbie can reflect, represent, and I guess even be used for. And when you talk a little bit about sort of the different paradoxes that are Barbie, I can see how all of that is possible. Like I'm remembering how, um, you know, Ruth Handler, the inventor of Barbie, wanted Barbie to be unmarried, wanted Barbie to not have a child, wanted Barbie to be a career-oriented person. But then at the same time, society was seeping in and, as you were mentioning, you know, wanted wanted their kids to, to be able to have a representation of a woman that they thought would be attractive to a male, that they wanted uh, Barbie to have a baby, that they wanted Barbie to have a boyfriend and really push sort of this heteronormative idea around Barbie and that she end up that she did end up Ruth Handler giving Barbie Ken. But can you talk a little yeah. bit about Ruth's reluctance to to make Ken, which yeah, is so she really reflective. didn't want to. Ma- she didn't film. want to make Ken, um, and she definitely and people also insisted on Barbie having a baby. And she like her way of uh, dealing with that was saying that she would be a babysitter. And then much later, there was pregnant Midge, which is actually a really hilarious punchline in the film, <laughs> um, and was had a lot of pregnant Midge herself is a it's her own story. Um, but I think that that paradox of like. I think the genius of Barbie was that Ruth Handler noticed that her daughter was liked playing with paper dolls who were adults and projecting her future life. And up until that point, dolls really weren't that most dolls were baby dolls. And so it was this idea of how do you project your adult life? Like she wanted the doll to sort of be a receptacle for whatever little girl's dreams were. Um, And by the nineties, I think a really cool thing, which is that by that point, Barbie was sort of like a camp figure like also a way of making fun of certain norms. Like the caller mentioned uh, a store selling trailer trailer trash Barbie. There were a lot of artists in the early 90s who were making art related to Barbie and sort of needling at these ideas of, of beauty standards. And there's like a sense of humor that I think also comes through in the film of of just like a levity at how impossible these standards are. Like as long as we can talk about them, I think one way to also sort of um, disarm them is by poking fun and, and laughing a little. And I think the film does a really good job at that. Actually, one thing I wanted to bring up is that this has been a summer where there's been a lot of movies about different products. There was the Hot Cheeto movie. There was like the Nike Air movie. And I think one of the things that makes the Barbie movie stand out is that Greta Gerwig actually takes on those paradoxes head on and tries to address the issue of capitalism and anti-feminism. Whereas I feel like other other films like really shied away from that. Um, and I think that's really cool. The other thing that Greta Gerwig does really cleverly, cleverly Ray, is also kind of breaks down patriarchy. <laughs> I was getting through this movie perfectly entertained and it was fine. And then, you know, two thirds of the way in, you get to a section where the Kens are trying to understand slash embrace patriarchy. And 
I mean, it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen committed to film. Uh, I cried for 10 minutes. Uh, there's a wonderful use of the terrible Matchbox 20 song, Push. There's jokes about how men want to explain the Godfather. Um, it's It's really exceptionally done. And I think what's really the best thing about it is that the film does a really good job as exploring patriarchy as something insidious and destructive, but also understanding that as soon as you start examining patriarchy, it's inherently ridiculous. And Ken's first understanding of patriarchal values as being somehow about horses is like, it's so well done. He's like, I'm pretty sure this is how to be a man. I'm, let's just put horses on everything. Um, yeah, it's brilliantly done. So I guess what that leads me to, Antonia, is this question of because the film acknowledges all of this, right? It acknowledges both um, the problematic aspects of Barbie but also it acknowledges the world that Barbie has been forced to kind of contort herself, you know, to be accepted in. Does it redefine Barbie? Are we still good with Barbie? Because or are we have we become better with Barbie? Have we decided to embrace the sort of evolved idea of Barbie as like an empowered Entity, because Edie writes, I never liked Barbie dolls as I raised my daughter in the 70s. I did not promote the dolls, and my daughter chose stuffed animals over any dolls, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I am glad she was not encouraged. She has not encouraged her daughter to like Barbie dolls. I thought women were commercialized as commodities by the Mattel Corporation and still do, as in this movie, which I chose not to see. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think Barbie is a Rorschach test. I think you learn a lot about what people believe based on their opinions about Barbie and Barbie is, I think purposefully um, elusive, <laughs> you know, I don't think she's a, she's a hunk of plastic that people uh, that's what MG Lord, my co-host likes to say that, that people project all sorts of ideas onto. And I think that um, I don't know, I think it's up to everyone individually to decide whether we're good with Barbie. I mean, I did not grow up being a, a major Barbie person. And similarly to Nadra, like, I don't think it was something that I didn't, I was like, I don't look like that. <laughs> it's sort of where my it ended for me. But um, I think that Barbie has been such an interesting tool to what uh, the caller said earlier to sort of break down these ideas and create your own opinion. Um, and I think that that is why she's just, she's, I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to fully get over Barbie. I think she ca came and, and sort of like became part of like our DNA. I don't, I don't know how, like how she wormed her way into that, but her like little stiletto heels have just like put such an imprint on like our concept of what is womanhood and how we think about feminist issues. Well, let me go to Sarah in Oakland. Hi, Sarah, join us. What's on your mind? Hi, good morning. I just wanted to say that I um, played with Barbie in the 70s. I loved Barbie. My neighbors and I, their basement was a whole Barbie kingdom. We had our own little neighborhoods. We went and visited each other. Like, I, Barbie really defined my childhood growing up in the 70s. Huh. And as an early childhood specialist, I think that I never got any of the messages about Barbie, you know, the body type or anything like that until I was older. But as a younger child, it was just a doll. She had awesome clothes, awesome shoes. We could dress her up. I had like my little Barbie suitcase that when I traveled to my grandparents, you know, I could take her with me. 
and it was a really positive experience for me. And I, as I said earlier, I just didn't have like those thoughts until, you know, I learned them later on as I got older. That is a really interesting point. I mean, it was similarly for me in college when I was in a women's studies class and I was reading the critiques about Barbie and it was useful, almost like what a previous caller was saying, as a familiar tool with which to examine society off of. But again, I'm not sure that growing up, it was really Barbie who was shaping my views so much as just the broader culture as well. Um, Let me go next to Elizabeth in Mill Valley. Hi, Elizabeth. You're on. Hi there. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, go right ahead. Thanks for having me. I was just going to make the comment that I'm the youngest of seven, so I had you know, three, three sisters, three brothers, and I had a hand-me-down Barbie and it just had one arm and I thought she was very precious and I played just very lovingly with her and I imposed my own narrative, you know, uh, in the sense of she was, she fought the Vietnam War. She was a, um, she was a, a FBI agent and it just was play. It was free play and nobody thought twice that she was a one-armed Barbie, and um, she was quite beloved. And I was yeah. just going to add that that uh, I enjoyed the movie because I think there was a sense of play about that movie yes. that was wonderful. Well, Elizabeth, thanks for sharing your thoughts. And again, to your point, Nadra, about how, um, I mean, sorry, Antonia, about how Barbie is is projectable. Like you can project a lot and create your own narratives around Barbie as well. Actually, Carol did one for Ken. Carol writes, I was born in 1953 and was not very engaged with Barbie dolls. Then I was given a Ken doll, but I thought he looked geeky. So I took a dark brown page boy wig from my younger sister's copious Barbie collection and put it on Ken, a la Beatles. Then I cut and sewed him blue jeans, a vest, a flowered long sleeve shirt. I made him an electric guitar out of cardboard, painted it, stood him on a table and used a flashlight to look like he was playing guitar at a rock concert. I even took photos of him. That was my best Barbie experience. That's amazing. Truly amazing. Life before the internet. Yes, truly, truly amazing. And we are hearing from you listeners what Barbie means to you. What did Barbie mean to you? What does Barbie mean to you now? How did you shape Barbie to fit the narrative that you wanted of your life? Email forum at kqd.org. Find us on our social channels. Call us at 866-733-6786. 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about Barbie, the film, the doll, everything that Barbie represents and what Barbie's legacy is, especially with this cultural moment that uh, the doll or a movie about the doll is sparking. We're talking with Ray Alexandra, staff writer for KQED Arts and Culture, Antonia Serijido, executive producer of LA Studios and co-host of the podcast The Barbie Tapes, Nadra Niddle, Education reporter for the 19th. Tell us, did you join moviegoers in pink or take part in a Barbie-themed celebration? What does Barbie mean to you, for better or for worse? What do you think Barbie means or should mean today? You can call 866-733-6786, post on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or threads. We're at KQED Forum. You can email forum at kqed.org. Pete tweets, after seeing Oppenheimer, I promptly went out and bought a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. Listening to your program now, I'm wondering... Did Barbie read any books? <laughs> Tony, I'm going to go to you for that. Oh, well, uh, tragically, we know that in part of her slumber party pack uh, <laughs> included a book that on one side said how to lose weight. And on the back, it said, in all caps, don't eat. Right, right. <laughs> so, is that the only book that Barbie's whole? I mean, I'm sure there are variations, but wow, that um, is one of the I most hope not. infamous. Yeah. Yeah. Another listener writes, has anyone raised the environmental issues and impacts of creating Barbie and her subsequent accessories and its relation to where we're at with environmental challenges today? I mean, Nadra, I don't know if if anyone has raised the environmental issues of creating sort of a plastic, a very plastic doll and a very plastic universe for this doll. But, you know, the the consumption is very much tied to environmental challenges. Do you think that that should be part of the critique for Barbie? Um, Perhaps. It didn't come up with the people that I interviewed. And I think, you know, while she's plastic and we're certainly concerned about microplastics in the ocean and how they're affecting the environment generally, I don't think Barbie is to blame um, necessarily for climate change. I think there's other industries we can point to, whether it's factory farming um, or the fashion industry that, you know, are causing far more impacts. But, you know, I wouldn't say that it's it's not a valid concern. Well, Nadra, you were mentioning earlier that one of the things that was really, really much related to Barbie was this goal of inspiring more shopping. Like she came out yes. at a time where marketers wanted to prompt consumers to just keep spending money. And can you expand on that a little bit? Like you mentioned that you had a Barbie dream house and just the dream house alone requires you to, to you know, end up collecting so much more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I remember being very excited about getting a Barbie dream house. I think I, I believe I got it for Christmas one year. Um, and yeah, I, I was very excited about it. I think Barbie, when she came out in 1959, you know, reflected the culture at large where advertisers were targeting women in ways that they hadn't necessarily before talking about how convenient, say, you know, a refrigerator was and other appliances and how they could color code things to their liking. So she was, um, she, in a way, 
um, she reflected what women, you know, in society at large were being told that they should do. So she was part of it and I guess a reflection of it at the same time. I will say, I think, you know, by the 90s, there was a pretty major backlash. I mean, even before the 90s, there was. But I I think in the 90s, it kind of reached a a fever pitch. Mm. Let me go to Lisa and Bellinas next. Hi, Lisa, you're on. Hi there. I just wanted to give a shout out to Skipper, uh, (laughs) Barbie's little sister, who had bendable kind of rubber legs, and she could play sports and ride my briar horses, and was just a lot more fun than Barbie. Yeah, well, Skipper, talk a little bit about how Skipper was sort of the compromise, Antonia, for people demanding that Barbie have a baby. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm Skipper is so interesting. Um, yeah, Skipper was the little sister. So the idea was that, you know, Barbie could sort of like looked after a younger doll. But also, uh, I was very pleased when I watched the movie to see if you know what she looks like growing up. There was a Ruth Handler, the creator of Barbie, actually was ousted from Mattel in the uh, mid 70s for for fraud uh, charges. And when she left, a group of men at Mattel who were mostly men who had experience making sort of action figures took over the design of Barbie. And so they made a whole host of like dolls that had sort of like weird actions. And I think the most disturbing one was growing up Skipper. So what they did was if you twisted her arm and brought it backwards, she would grow a like a fraction of a centimeter and also sprout breasts. Right. And then you would turn her arm the other way and the breasts would recede back inside her body. Um, I'm, I would pay so much money to just hear the conversations that those designers had creating that doll, like what they thought they were doing. Yes. Um, But growing up, Skipper has this like really great skirt. And if you watch the movie, She's in the film. And I was like, when I saw her show up, I was like, yes, they have growing up Skipper in the movie. Um, well, Skipper. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, sorry. Your story is also just pointing out to me, you know, how when you had a lot of male executives trying to determine what a doll going through puberty, you know, what you should highlight the most and they're choosing boobs. You're, you're sort right. of. Right. <laughs> it's like there's another thing that happens that marks the the go, becoming an adult and it's not and it's not boobs. So <laughs> I fear, yes. they haven't tackled that one yet. Right. Exactly. Um, and then also the whole mechanical features thing. That was, again, just another ploy to try to get at what consumers might want when all of these action figure toys were so popular, which, of course, also reminds me that, you know, while this movie is you know, about being enjoyable, has themes that are taking aim at sexism and patriarchy and materialism and so forth. It really is also about selling dolls and Mattel making a ton of money, right, Antonia? (laughs) Yes, yes. They are like, and Mattel, another one of my favorite facts, there's a really, in the podcast, we have a really great quote from this uh, toy designer named Derek Gable, who talked about how Mattel did take the critiques seriously And they would try to address a lot of the critiques. And in market testing with little girls, they just found that the girls did not care if Barbie was a teacher, if she was a lawyer. They the one thing that the girls were very consistent about is that they just wanted more hair. Um, They loved hair play. And to the point where the most successful Barbie to this day was totally hair Barbie that came out in the early 90s. And she has hair all the way down to her toes. (laughs) Um, 
And I just, I think that's so funny that the little girls were like, we don't care what Barbie does, but give us some hair. <laughs> um, and I remember like cutting my Barbie's hair, or, like even tying her hair up to like a fan. I feel like for some reason, a lot of people did that mm. just to see what would happen. Um, yeah. But it, but I, I'm very fascinated by that, the marketing aspect. I mean, so much marketing went into Barbie. And so that's another interesting thing looking at the history is that it really is like a composite of like all of this research of what was going on at the time. Yes. And that's why I think looking at her as like also a way of looking at how feminism has shaped through the years is very effective. Mm. Well, let me go to Arzo in Oakland. Hi, Arzo. You're on. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I kind of jumped in later in the conversation, so I'm not sure if you guys touched on this, but, you know, growing up, my family wasn't very affluent. We were just trying to pretty much survive. So whenever I would see one of the kids at school with a Barbie doll, to me, that was like the differentiation between the haves and the have nots. Mm. And so I was like, oh, that kid must have money. You know, they have a Barbie doll. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Arzo, I, I think actually, Ray, you were saying something similar about the fact that you did not own Barbies and you also did not grow up with a ton of resources where Barbies were something that you could access whenever you wanted. Well, right. we had Barbie knockoffs. <laughs> Barbie knockoffs. Oh, yes. I remember my cousins had those. Um, a lot of my lack of Barbies was just not being into it because it felt it didn't feel like real fantasy play to me you know I was a tomboy and I was a Star Wars kid so I wanted space and I wanted monsters and I I felt like Barbie was both unattainable in terms of what she physically looked like and also kind of mundane in Mm. that like oh she's just like hanging out in her house (laughs) it just didn't seem that fun to me so I couldn't really connect with it on on either one of those levels yeah no that makes sense well I I do wonder, Ray, how you felt about, because we're, we're talking about how Mattel's goal really is to, you know, it has to turn a profit. It, it makes money if these dolls and Barbie is having a moment and doing well and prompting people to buy Barbie and all of Barbie's accessories and so on. But it also pokes fun at itself in the movie. And I'm wondering if you found that effective. Honestly, one of my least favorite things in the movie, aside from the copious Mattel logos and the nonstop advertising of the dolls and accessories, which is quite egregious at the very beginning of the movie with outfits popping up on the screen on their own with like dates on. um, One of the things that bummed me out most in this film was turning the all male room of Mattel executives into just a goofy, backy, like goofy, wacky bunch of guys. Um, It felt like a cop out to me, Mm. given how much criticism there was of everything everywhere else. You know, Barbie coming into the room and saying, but where are the women is not I feel like Mattel let themselves off easy and it felt like a compromise from Greta Gerwig. Mm, Interesting. Well, this listener tweets, as a young gay boy with five sisters, I stole my sister's Barbie and got caught. I was mortified, but for Christmas, my sister got me the gem Barbie and I was in heaven. I think playing with the Barbie dolls really helped me deal with my identity. I Mm. love the movie. Oh, thanks for sharing that story. Let me go to Linda in Palo Alto. Hi, Linda. You're on. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Yes, I uh, had Barbies given to me by, I'm pretty sure it was my dad's work colleagues. I had the airplane, I had the Corvette, I had the uh, apartment, and I sewed, my mom was a sewer, and we sewed uh, clothes for her, for my doll. And my Barbies kissed other Barbies. We didn't follow any rules. We didn't know there were supposed to be rules. We just did what we wanted with them. 
Uh, and then I grew up and went to a women's college. I didn't change my name when I got married. I insist on calling everything she when people call them he. I, it did not make me into some kind of crazy conformist person. Quite the opposite. So uh, I loved everything about the movie. Well, thanks. Melinda, thanks. Uh, let me remind listeners that you are listening to Forum. We are talking about Barbie this hour with Nadra Niddle of the 19th, Antonio Cerejido of LAist, and Ray Alexandra of KQED. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Anna writes, I have my original Barbies from the 70s, all the Malibu dolls, Barbie, Ken, Crisky, Skipper. My favorite was Quick Curl Barbie, who had wires in her hair so I could curl her hair with a little pink plastic curling iron. I played with them with girlfriends all the time and created Barbie adventures in the backyard and in department stores. As an adult, I bought a couple of so-called collectibles, i.e. Macy, Shopper Barbie, Seas Candy Barbie. I never compared myself, and she didn't influence my self-image whatsoever. Except to this day, I still like pink. Simply, she's just a doll, a fun, colorful, pretty, create-your-own-story, fits-in-a-pocket, no-batteries-required toy, and I absolutely saw the movie opening weekend and wore pink and drank rosé with my popcorn. Well, whatever you think of Mattel, Nadre, the, they certainly know how to keep Barbie relevant. And, uh, you know, you were describing that you got the Misty Copeland doll and, you know, some other dolls. They started introducing dolls, I think especially around 2016 or so, they started doing a whole line of dolls um, that were representing different skin tones, different ethnicities, in a way that seemed a little more thoughtful than in the past. What do you think about that as a way of keeping Mattel relevant? Do you, what do you think they are realizing about Barbie and her power to stay relevant? Well, I think some of these changes reflect the criticism of Mattel. Um, so now we see dolls with different physical abilities, for example. Mm. Um, we see Barbies based on a wide range of historical figures from Susan B. Anthony um, to Madam C.J. Walker. So I think, you know, th this is pretty much a, a genius marketing strategy in the sense that if you admire certain women, you might be more likely to get that doll, um, whether it's for yourself or for your child or someone else in your life. So I think that it's helped them, um, you know, to continue connecting with audiences. And I will say with Mattel, they they introduced the first Black Barbies in the late 1960s. So I do want to give them credit for that, that they have seemed to understand that diversity is important for decades now, but certainly, you know, in, in more recent decades, they really stepped it up even more. Yeah. I do want to ask you, though, Antonia, about the plans that Mattel has for making more films about its products. Can you remind us what's in the works for future films? It's incredible the amount of products they want to make. There's a, the, one of the projects is a Barney project that's actually aimed at millennials who are experiencing angst. <laughs> I thought that description was funny. Um, that Daniel Kaluuya is going to be the director of. They're doing a Polly Pocket film uh, directed by Lena Dunham. They're doing a film about Uno, a film about the Magic 8-Ball. Um, it really feels, I mean, that's the thing about Mattel is that they've been extremely adept at sort of realigning themselves with the different markets that they keep entering. And it seems like now their big play is this IP play. Um, and I'm sure this just gargantuan success of the Barbie film is is only making them feel 
more empowered to go in that direction. Yeah, though I was reading this interesting take, um, I believe it was by Michelle Goldberg, where the writer was wondering whether or not Mattel will recognize that the success of the movie was in part and maybe about that it was a story about women, that it was a story about the experience of trying to exist in the world as we know it today and not necessarily about the toy itself. <laughs> Do you think it'll get that message? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that the fact that they went with Greta Gerwig and the fact that they keep picking really interesting um filmmakers to partner with is a sign that there's like some level of intelligence at Mattel about being self-aware. I think that there, I mean, we haven't seen this in the past. Like obviously there have been successful franchises like Marvel is the biggest example, but Mattel is trying to do something a little bit different, which is to sort of make like more highbrow films. Um, And I think that that is interesting. If it's going to succeed time after time, I don't know. Um, But you know, a, an angsty film about Barney is interesting to me. Um, Lena Dunham, I know she's very controversial. A lot of people are rewatching Girls right now. I think that she has a very interesting perspective. Like, I don't know. I think that they're 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 going in a direction that's sort of unexpected, and I think that level of novelty might make it work. I don't know. Well, this listener writes, I loved creating worlds for my Barbies. To me, she was the original girl boss in my Barbie world. Like the movie, Ken was completely subordinate. And Barbie made all the decisions, always drove the car, had a powerful job. I think I was creating an aspirational world that didn't always conform to the real one around me. Ray, what do you think Barbie means today? Do you think do you think she has changed, embodied something new? I mean, I think... Barbie will always be an icon, but I think what she means depends in, and I think this entire hour has proved this, it depends entirely on who you are, what generation you're from, um, maybe even your family background. Like, we do all put our own meanings onto her. Um, I do think this movie is has done a really good job of kind of rewriting history a little bit in terms of making out like she's always been this inclusive, diverse, body positive, you know, (laughs) that wasn't always the case. But the way that the movie presents it is like, well, that's always been Barbie's world. And I think because of that, a new generation might not be as hypocritical as, say, I am from being from the 90s. Well, and let's say and and not hyper negatively affected. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, Ray, thanks so much for joining us today, sharing your takes on the film. Thank you. And also, Antonia Serihido, thanks so much for the Barbie tapes. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for having me. Check out and that listen podcast. listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, check out the podcast. And Antonia is executive producer of LA Studios. And Nadra, thanks so much for bringing your experience and also the consumerism critique into this. Thank you. Nadra Nittle is education reporter for the 19th. I'm Mina Kim. You have been listening to Forum. Have a great weekend. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.